You are listening to Keenan Live, where I'm going to be talking to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. People who do things that others just can't or won't. What is going on, peeps? Welcome to Keenan Live 5. Where I talk to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. And I'm excited today to talk to David Finkel. He wrote a book about not letting work in business mess with your personal life, your family, your health, and your life. So I'm going to bring him in here. I'm excited for this. We're going to talk about all this because I think too many of us build these traps and we can't get out of them. And we're running around working for the man and working and working and working and working. And we don't ever find time for the things that matter most. So Finkel is going to help us solve that. So, folks, I want you to meet Mr. David Finkel. What's up, player? Hey, Keenan. Great to be here. Yes, my man. I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you. And I like that. Right? Look, he's got it. Is that on like a big iPad or television? What is that? <laughs> Actually, when my publisher did the book, they, the first publisher out of 12 of them, he sent me a great big painting of the cover. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yes. Oh, I need something like that. Well, I'm self-published. I guess I have to send it to myself. You know, there you go. You should do it, man. You should. You should yeah. Someone on the internet's doing it for you. Can't, can't yeah. be more than a couple hundred bucks. That's a great idea. I, I'm going to do that. I need a poster of my book. Done. Okay. There you have it. So welcome, my man. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Let's let's have some fun. Yes, yes, yes. All right, man. So look, before jump in, I just want to jump right in. Rather than talk about what to fix, I want to sort of diagnose the problem first, right? What is going on with people and how much they work, how much they sacrifice their life for, how much like what is going on? How do we even get here in the first place? Yeah. I mean, it's like you, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, I, I'm not the only one who has this feeling like I've got to pull my phone up. Maybe I check the weather. But the second thing is I'm going to check email. I'm right in there on my app, all my feeds, you know, nights and weekends. Am I working? Am, am I actually taking a real vacation or am I really just working from a nicer location? The studies are horrible. You look at it, the average person, an executive in a company uh, in North America working 72 hours a week. There is no 40, 40 hour a week. There is no four hour a week. People are just doing it. And if I thought they were more successful for it, I'd say, well, you know what? That's a good choice. But the, the thing is, all that hard work is not what is getting the success. We need to work intelligently. And most people have no clue what it means to actually operationalize working smart. They, they know they should be working smart, but they don't know the mechanics of how to do that. So, you know, it's interesting. So I want to know why, but just out of the gate, someone had to be funny. So I want you to address this. Some guy named Arthur Grishkovich. Grishkovich. He said, so I clicked here, read the description, and I'm leaving now to play with my two-year-old. Good day to you, sirs. So, <laughs> you know, I think he's being sarcastic. In, in, but in the sarcasm, there's a really, in, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had because where do we draw the line? Is he the smart one to not sit here and listen to this because he's going to go play with his kid? Or is he just being a douchebag and um, doesn't want to learn anything? Yeah. Well, look, if he's successful in his own right and he's having a great time playing with his two-year-old, I'm, I'm all for it. I've got three kids myself. Yesterday, my son, Matthew, came with me to work. 
I, I ended early. Why? Because I wanted to go and hang out with him. I, I'm all for it. But if you're making a trade-off where an hour of investment, you can learn something that could give you back hundreds of hours somewhere else, then you got to make that trade-off. And I think that's an important one there. So, so like how, the how do we though. decide? Yeah. I mean, look, I loved it too, but I really thought there was something interesting in that very concept, right? I think people like to get, I think people like to take what we're trying to teach them and spin it so they don't have to learn. Yeah. I mean, look, he wouldn't be here in the first place if he didn't want something, right? You know, the, the two-year-old part of it, great. Can can you play with your two-year-old right now? Sure. It's a great choice you make. But again, I'll, I'll just ask the question. Are you really right now doing great work in terms of creating massive value in a defined period of time so that you don't feel like work's taken over your life? If work has taken over your life, then I would make the investment and spend the hour with us. I'll give you some real good ideas about how to stop that. But if you you don't need it and you just came here for entertainment, go play with your two-year-old. Probably more entertaining than any of us could be. A two-year-old's adorable, usually. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but how did we get here? How did we get to a place where work takes over everything? Yeah. So in the book, we talk about five kind of chains that hold us back. I'll, I'll just mention one right now. There's a changing technology has made a big deal, right? I mean, I, I, I can pull up my, my phone and I can essentially do work from anywhere. And there's a freedom to that. And I think we all were attracted to that. Like I can, I can knock down a quick work piece and I can do it well with my family, but then I'm done with it. What's happened though, is that I'm never done with it. That's the problem. And so one of the things I think we have to do is ask ourselves, the technology has changed so fast, but our time sense, our time uh, use has not kept up. We're still using stuff from 20, 30 years ago, and we don't have the right buffers, the right filters, the right scaffolding to make it where we can mechanically do that. And I'll give one more right now with everyone working remotely with coronavirus and all that. In most companies, what have happened is we've made hyper-responsiveness be this proxy for, is my staff working? And so if I'm a sales manager, for example, and I've got nine salespeople out there in the field and I give them a quick text, if they're not responding right back in my head, I'm thinking, oh, they're just screwing off. But that's the wrong way to go. Maybe they're actually having a phone conversation with a really hot prospect. I want them all there. So I have to find a better proxy, which is the results that they generate. And we talk about two economies, right? The, the time and effort economy and the results yeah, economy. Amen. But hyper-responsiveness, that's a, that's a time and effort mood. That's, hey, if you're not getting back to me fast and you don't have the right ethic or attitude, I'm making a judgment there. I don't want to judge my team on that. I want to judge my team on, did you create value? Did you make sales? Did you, did you do a project piece that was really important for the company? And I think we need to make that distinction. Dude, oof, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> so I, I, I agree with you, right? And I'm going to synthesize. I, we've created a culture. We've created a culture that you got to work your ass off. And even before all this stuff, people still, at least nine to five, um, uh, were working all the time. What do I say nine to eight? I mean, you heard those stories. I got to work late at the office, honey, right? So, I mean, there was always this massive amounts of work, right? Um, but now we, I remember the days when Friday came, it was weekend. You didn't work. Like I remember, I'm old enough to remember that when you left on Friday, whether it was at three, four, five, six, seven, or eight, you were done until Monday. And those were great times. I, I miss those times, right? But outside of that, you also talk about something else. And you talk about this idea that responsiveness is a proxy for working. Now I'm gonna really upset some people with this, but I wanna unpack this. 
there is some truth not to the 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 proxy that people need to respond quickly, but there is truth to the fact. And I'm really going to piss people off, but I'm I believe over fifty percent. So it'd be fifty five, it'd be sixty five, it'd be ninety five. I don't know, but for sure I'll stand my ground with over fifty percent of most people do not work hard, are not committed to their jobs, and they do just enough. So every chance you get, though they get to to not do their job and avoid any outcome, they're going to do it. And I hate to say this, it's not because I don't like people and I and I have some vendetta against people. I freaking love people, and it drives me crazy that people don't grab their life and do more with it. But yeah, so these managers are stuck thinking these clowns aren't doing their fucking job. Yeah, I'm going to challenge you on that one. I don't agree with it. I've, I've, I've had hundreds and hundreds of people work for me. And I will tell you that, you know, probably there's 30, 40% of them that started with me, maybe even 50%. But we weeded out a lot of those people. I mean, I, okay. what's the difference, right? The difference is, am I, am I, am I treating my people as if I, they're there just with their hands and their, and their, and their eyes, but they're not their heart and their spirit. Like, have I connected it with them? So one of the things I think we have to do if I'm leading a team, man, they need to know why we're doing what we're doing. Like, for example, we're, we're a business coaching company. So we make sure once a month we bring in clients who come on to be a spotlight on our company team-wide meeting, right? On a video conference. I want them to talk with clients. I want them to, to know what they're doing. Even if this is someone who's doing accounting or other functions, I want them to know. And so I think it's important. Sorry, man. <laughs> yes, girls, you're on. That is cool. Yes. Um, look, my girls are in the back all the time. Speaking of life, right? So yeah. our production value was a little down because I moved to Manhattan Beach for the summer just to hang out and have a good time. So I don't have my studio. I don't have all this stuff. I did this. My daughters come out for a week, every um, two weeks to hang out, and this is their week. So I think they're all going down surfing right now because we're literally right on the water. I don't know if people see that. but That so is so surfing. cool. I love it. I love it. Yes. Fantastic with that part. But going back to you here, you know, if I'm treating my people like, uh, you know, I have to check up on them. Look, and I've had salespeople before who have. Hold on. My battery's about to run out, and this will be a problem. Hold on. Sorry. No worries. No worries. This is pretty cool. Look at that. It's gorgeous out there. <laughs> All right. Sorry, y'all. Didn't know it wasn't plugged in. Sorry, everybody. But if that battery ran out, that would have been a bigger problem than me jumping up for two seconds. All right. So keep there going. There we go. So I was going to say, so I, I, had a, I can think of a sales guy. And he would respond to all of his emails every day at the same rough time, two or three o'clock. Well, after two weeks of this, I know what's going on. He's doing other stuff. I get it. But most of the people work for me, sales, coaching, other parts, I don't believe they're screwing around with that part. I don't. I, I can see the value they create. And here's the key thing. If I'm managing people, we should have very clear results. And especially if they're remote, man, I got to shrink the units of accountability. I should know. For example... My salespeople that spend time doing outbound dialing, they're supposed to do 120 dials a day. If I'm not shrinking the time between when they do a behavior and they're getting feedback and that they know their behavior has been seen, that's an issue, right? So people need to be looking every day and giving them feedback. Hey, Jody, you did a great day on the phone yesterday. Congratulations for it. Hey, Roy, you were down in your numbers. Tell me what, what happened. That's unlike you. But if I'm on top of it and I'm managing well, I don't think people like to, I, I think people remotely, and I've done this now for 24 years, they're going to get more done. Mm -hmm. I, I believe if I manage them correctly, I really do. I think you had a good point. I think there were two things that go into this, right? Um, one is the management piece. I absolutely agree. The management piece. Um, and I think the, the trust piece is important. You got to trust your people will do it, right? We, we've been remote for 
three or four years ago right now okay. that I can't keep up. And it's going to take a lot for us not to be remote. As we get bigger and bigger, I can see some advantage to having some centralized place. My head of operations, she prefers to work somewhere. So they go and they do a, uh, yeah. a rework and they do it. And that's their choice and we pay for it. But having a headquarters and all that, I get it. So I think you get some points. I think where I was going with this, and it's going to tie back to a lot of things we're talking about, yeah. is even though I sound like a complete asshole when I really ridicule people <laughs> for for being lazy and not getting the job done, right? It's not because I have some disdain for your average worker. It actually right. comes from a sadness and an anger out of their loss. Because I think that most people who do shitty jobs and just aren't into it is because they're in a job they don't want to be in. They're in a job because they feel stuck in that job. And they feel stuck in that job because whether they're making $350,000 a year or $60,000 a year or $20,000 a year, they feel they have to do that job to pay the bills. And if they don't have that job, they're screwed. So they're yeah. going through the motions. So they put themselves in situations where they cannot optimally perform to their skill sets, not because they don't have the work ethic, but because they just hate their gig and there's yeah. too many people like that like you i've worked with thousands of people and i'm like is this really happening are you really this are you really like what's what i'm looking for um stepping aside from your job and just cruising so i, I think you have some points here yeah and, and that drives me crazy i mean i certainly see it i, I don't get how someone can live in their life and you're spending eight hours a day doing something you absolutely dread or hate that that just is so foreign to me I've had people like that. I've had to let go. I mean, that that's an easy decision, by the way, right? That you, look, you're not into this. It's clear. It's very obvious that we're a job for you. We're not a we're not a passion, let alone even something you care about. No worries. You should work somewhere else. No hard feelings. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I hope everybody can find their gig. All right. So we figure it's a cultural thing. We put us. We get ourselves in these situations. We're sacrificing our health and our life. How do we undo it? Yeah. So first of all, everyone thinks about, like you mentioned about distinction around time between weekday and weekend. In the good old days, we could work during the week and have fun on the weekend and not have to work. That is most people's distinction around time. I'm working or I'm not working. Some few people have a distinction. We'll call it the 80-20 rule, right? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing 80% of what I do. Pareto's principle gives me this 20% of my result. Very low value stuff. Well, I'll call that D time. It's yep. the low value mass junk. But 20%, we'll call this C time, gives me 80% of the value. It's pretty cool, right? One quarter less gives me four times more. Let's take that further, though. No one does this, but let's take it further. So if 20% gives me 80%, then 20% of what I do of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80%. And the math says this 4% sweet spot gives me fully 64% of my output. And then bear with me, Keenan, one more math moment, right? If 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80%, then 20% of the 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80%. We'll call that A time. And that's that magic 1% that gives me half the result. And, and so what I do is I actually start and I write out what are my A and B level activities. So for example, if I'm a sales pro, uh, an A level activity for me might be a relationship with a really great referral partner who's given me seven or 10 different deals that they've referred over to me. Uh, a B-level activity might be sitting down one-to-one -to, -one to close on an opportunity. C-level might be all the work I have to do behind the scenes. And the low-value junk is that D stuff. And I need to be careful. If I can identify what my A and B stuff is and know what my D stuff is, here's the, here's the kind of the principle. I get rid of as much of the D. We call it for the four Ds. I delete it, 
I delegate it, I, I, I defer it or delay it, or I design it out, which is my favorite. Maybe we'll get into that later, so that I can take my save time and invest it in A and B activities. And, and here's a metric I love for anyone who's in sales. If you're a pro, we call it DST. It stands for direct sales time. It's definitely going to be your B-level activity for most of you, unless you have other people who work for you that, you, that, that you're a manager, in which case it's probably your, your people's B-level time. And that stands for how many hours per week am I spending directly in the presence of my other sales folks? And, and so if I can look at that, now I can change how I structure my week. We can get into that in a moment. But how do I have more A and B blocks of uninterrupted focus time? That's the game. And if I can do that, and I only have to shift three hours, five hours a week. But if I do three or five hours a week where I can shift it, man, I can create so much more value without nights, without weekends, without working on my vacation. Okay. So let, I, want, I want you to do the math again. Well, if not the math, I don't want you to do the math. I want a synopsis of that math. The very end there, when you said the very end, the 1% delivers what? 50%. So the rule should not be an 80-20 principle. No, the rule should be 1 to 50. This 1% of what I do that creates 50% of the value. And we all have had the experience. It's the, the prospect that I finally get sitting down with my best attention to close the deal. I, I might make a $50,000 sale in that one moment that takes me an hour, two hours of time. But I ran around all week doing all the other junk to avoid the rejection and the other stuff that you see in the behaviors. That's what I do that creates the value. That's what I should be doing more of. And if I can get myself to do a second one that week, man, I can double my result. But all I added was another two hours of actual direct sales time. Come on, we can do that. So what you're arguing is people need to understand the relationship between effort and return. Yes. So I, I, call, I call it Rose return on sales effort. But um, your, your, you did the math, and I love the math. And I was just talking to someone the other day about this because people ask me all the time. I can't tell people what delivers the best value to them, but I created a four-quadrant matrix, right? And it's basically the two axes are the impact or the outcome. Yep. And the other one is the amount of time or the effort it takes. So, so yours is, I like yours, is because you get that one to 50. But mine's basically your A's are the one that takes the least amount of time and deliver the greatest amount of impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> simple. You go, you got to look at all the shit you got to do and say, okay, great. This is going to take me an hour, but man, when I'm done, the impact is this. Great, that's an A, right? Your, your B column is all the ones that take more time but have huge impact. So do those next. Then that's the right. ones don't take much weight. Then the ones that take, uh, what is it? Do, 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 don't have huge impact, but, but take a lot of time. Don't ever fucking do those, right? Don't ever, ever, ever do those. If they take a lot of time, if don't have any impact, do not do those. And the last ones, if you have time, if they uh, take no time and they have very little impact, you can decide what to do with those. I love it. You know, and, and so with that, whether you, whether you use the ABC time or you're using high impact, very little time, any of those models, here's the key though. I can know that, but still not do it. And so I'm going to give two quick ideas here. So what to get them to do it is, is this. We call it focus days versus push days. And so I, I, I look at it like a buffet. I love buffets, but now that I'm getting older, man, I can't eat about them the same way. But I used to go straight to the desserts, right? If I'm going to pay for a buffet once upon a time, head straight to the desserts and I eat all the crap. And of course, they're empty calories. The most important plate of food, now that I'm almost 50, is my first plate of food. And my first plate of food is vegetables and nutritious proteins. I partially fill my stomach and at least I'm getting nutrition. 
So when I use time, I do the same thing. So if you were to look at my schedule of time, I have it on my screen here, I actually block out at the beginning of the week what I call focus day. One day a week to start with. Now I do three days of that. But one day a week that I'm going to give myself a two or three hour block of my best time at my best moment as a recurring appointment that happens. And every other day is a push day. And on my push days, I make sure I still block off another hour, hour and 15 minutes every single push day. And then in my push days or when I'm on my focus blocks, I make sure that in those five to eight hours per week, I only do A and B level activities. I, 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 I only do that. That might be I only make certain key phone calls or I do certain proposals that I need to get ready to, to, to give or I go to the right event that I might need to do for my networking and prospecting that I'm doing. And by doing that, I have blocks of my best time back. It changes everything. And when someone gets out of whack, out of alignment, I, I just ask them. I said, show me your phone. What do you mean, show me your phone? Well, if I don't see those recurring appointments scheduled on your calendar, I, I know you're not taking this stuff seriously. Just doing that one thing, I change four, five, six hours a week. I can do all the other hours the same way. I can eat all the junk calories I want. But at least in those four to six hours, I'm getting high value results. I need to do that every single week. And if I did that five hours a week multiplied by a 48-hour work year, that gives you five weeks of your best time back to do stuff that creates value. Of course, you're going to create more income for yourself and more, more results for yourself. Of course, you will. All right. So, so someone has asked a question. Uh, Alex Goulding, he said, uh, question, how easy do you find it to put the activities in A to D? How many people miss? Great question. How many people misdiagnose this? And link to that, to that, is there any correlation to time of day that you do these activities? Great question, Alex. Man, it's, it's, so everyone knows what their D-level stuff is, and they, they all know they should get rid of it, but they're afraid of letting go of control. We call that controlitis, the inflammation of their control gland, or they like some of that D stuff. It's escapist for them. I mean, I, I've been guilty of being in my inbox, knowing that this is junky stuff to do, but it just felt kind of good. Um, C stuff is hard for them to spot. I'll give you a clue in that in a moment. The A and B is obvious, but it's what's not obvious is A or B. And I would tell you, Alex, at first, don't worry about A or B. A, B together, we know that they're a magnitude more valuable. Either one is great. Over time, when you start thinking about this and paying attention to it, you'll start to discern the difference between the two. At first, A or B together are clearly better than the other. So what I ask myself is, look, what do I do that creates the absolute most value? And I, I usually most people have three, four things for their company they do that creates the most value. And then I ask, okay, if these are the results that I'm most on the payroll to get, what are the activities, the, the things that I regularly do that give me these results? Those are my A and B level stuff. So and then I, Go ahead. Keep going. No, keep going. I was going to say that, that that's where I start with. So I, I rob from D to go straight to A and B, and I can ignore C. C matters, but it doesn't matter a lot. D matters because it gives me the raw fodder of time for A and B stuff. And then what I do is at the beginning of the week, I, I, I use the unit of the week and I'll say, okay, this week, what's my one or two big rocks for the week? The one or two things that if I did them this week would make the biggest gain in my production this week. Impact. Yeah, exactly. My high value, high, high impact, low time usually, but a big rock should take no more than two hours. If it takes more than two hours, break it apart because you, you're not going to get more than two hours of uninterrupted time. It isn't going to happen. And so most people have this to-do list that just goes on for pages. 
what we do is we pull off of our to-do list the one or two highest value things for the week. And then I know that I'm going to do that in my focus time. And then Keenan and I, the day before I do that, I set the stage for the next day. So I have out, like you can see, wait, let me make sure I'm reading the right. You can see my desk there. It's empty. Today for me, I did my focus time and I got rid of everything else that was on my desk except the one project I was working on. I set the stage the day before. What time should I do it? It depends. For most people, it's the morning first thing. Don't go to your inbox. Don't even do it. Like I have my assistant. She sets my away message so that every Monday afternoon, the away message is there to the next Wednesday. This gives me a, a feeling like I can ignore my email when I come in Tuesday morning because Tuesday's morning is my focus time. I'm going to give myself, and I do a four-hour block. I get in usually about 8, 8.30 or so. I'll work about to 11.30, 12, 12.30. Whenever the steam goes, I let it go. That block gives me more value than the rest of the day. No question about it. Other people are night owls. If you're a night owl and you want to do your focus block at night, fair enough. Our marketing person, Kim, she's a night owl. She wants to do it at night. Good for her. But for most people, if you look at your inbox before you do your focus time, you've just blown it for the day because you'll get sucked into something. Give yourself at least that first two hours on your focus day, just one day a week. Can you have somebody else cover for you? Can you can you trade with that? Can you put in a way message for two hours? Of course you can. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So it seems to me that if you're going to be good at this, you had better have a you better have a solid understanding of the your, the relationship between what you're accountable to deliver from results and what it actually takes to execute to those results. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. No. Finish what you're saying. I totally agree with you, Ken. I'm sorry. I got excited. Yeah, no. So it seems to me that those who don't know how to execute, where execution is not their strong set, are going to struggle with this because they're not going to really be sure what execution elements they should be working on that are going to get the results they want. Yeah. And look, if, if I can't get clean on these are the results that I want, these are the behaviors or activities that lead to those results, that's the place I have to start with, of course. Having focus time but not knowing what to do in the focus time isn't going to help me. I'm assuming that people watching this are pros enough to know that, for example, if my responsibility is a certain sales quota for the month or the quarter, then I need to know that I need to do certain prospecting activities or I need to do certain um, follow-up activities on my pipeline. I'm assuming that they have a certain knowledge of that part. If you don't, man, the best focus time for you is to take some training and or read some books to figure that stuff out. Come on. That's your A time right there if yeah. I don't know what my behaviors are. Yeah, that's a good point. Because like, There are people who are going to be watching this, not salespeople, but I think you give two people too much credit for the idea that they know how to execute. One of the best sales books of all freaking time highlighted, highlighted pretty succinctly that even some of the most successful people in the world had no fucking clue how to execute. I mean, you ever read the book Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan? I did, a little bit too academic for my taste, but it was a oh, good book. I loved it. It changed my life. I'm a, I'm a big thinker. And I was like, oh, we can do this. And then I finally realized I had no idea how I'd execute that. No idea how I execute that. So I started slowing, slowing my roll when I had an idea, I was like, okay, step back. Now, how would you execute that? Oh, that's impossible. So I'm stepping aside. Oh, I can break that down. So yeah, it was great for me. Here's, here's two things. You want the execution. I got two, two quick ideas for, for your listeners here and watchers and viewers. So number one, we call it a sweet spot analysis. It's my favorite way to figure out how to implement an idea. So let's say I've got you know, a challenge I'm dealing with, a problem in my, in, my, in, my, in my workplace stuff, or I've got this opportunity that I'm trying to figure out how to leverage. I, I put that on paper and I ask myself, what are 10 or 15 or more ideas to seize that opportunity or to solve that problem? I write them all down. Mm -hmm. So I get this big list going down the list of all my ideas. And I use two filters. 
the first filter is low-hanging fruit. And so if I'm drawing that out, we'll call this LH. And so I take a low-hanging fruit filter for that. A low-hanging fruit means, is this idea easy to do with a high likelihood of working? If it is, I check the box for low-hanging fruit. Right. Yep. Then I come back in a second separate pass. I don't do this together. I come back in a second separate pass and ask, is this a home run? Is this a home run? Is this a home run? And if it is a home run, what that means is if it works, it's going to have a big impact. And so what my sweet spot is, those things that are both low-hanging fruit, easy to do, high likelihood of working, and a home run, big impact. That's the equivalent of you, a big impact, little effort. Although yeah. we add the element of, is it something that's likely to work, right? And so for me, that's one way to go. And the second one is, we, we believe strongly in our, our coaching practices, we want to execute based on units of time called the quarter, right? So every 90 days, we put together another clear plan of action on one page, the, the, the two or three focus areas for the quarter, really clear criteria of success. What would we have to actually do that we could see, touch, hear, taste, measure by the end of this quarter in this focus area to know that we really created the result we wanted? And then now I can create my five to seven action steps or milestones to do that and who does what by when. And that was in you know chapter three of Freedom Point. But we by executing on the quarter, that's the that to me is the best tie between these annual or longer term goals and the between that and the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month execution, that quarter is a great unit of time to bridge the two. I love that quarter piece. All right, everybody, for those of you who jumped in and are just joining us, we are talking with David Finkel, the author of The Freedom Formula, and we're talking about ways to operationalize your day so that you can have more time to do the things that matter, your kids' soccer games, your kids' football games, freaking time with your spouse, just chilling on the, the freaking bar, the lazy barker. I don't care, right? Whatever it is you want to do for you. So just David is dropping some great wisdom on us. All right, David. So, you know, when you think about this idea, okay, I want you to talk about the quarter thing. I love that. Talk about the quarter thing. I remember uh, listening to the book when I drove out here and you talked about this one pager for the quarter. I absolutely love that. Talks to, oh, talks about that. And folks, if you got questions, uh, drop your questions into the to the live. I'm paying attention. I will ask them. Drop them in there. All right. So I'm going to just share quickly a picture. So if anyone's watching, this is what a one page plan of action looks like on this page over here. This is this is from the book, right? But but here's the deal. Most people, when they create a one page plan of action, what they do is they end up end up with three, five, seven pages. And I mean, I'll laugh. I, there's one CEO we were working with. He ran a construction company. They did about fifty fifty five million dollars a year in construction work. And he said, David, we do our own planning process. I said, great. How does it work? He says, well, like, for example, right now we have seven focuses. And I, I started smiling. Seven focuses. Great. His name was Mark. I said, Mark, tell me what your focuses are. Focus one, focus two, focus three, focus four, focus. Well, I know yeah, we have five. Three. Yeah, you don't even remember. I said, Mark, you're the CEO. You can't tell me your focus is. Yes. How is your staff going to do this? So we, we limit it to three. There's, there's a power to that. By doing less, but the less that you do mattering more, you're going to accomplish a heck of a lot more. The second one is people who create their action plans, what they do is they set themselves up to procrastinate. They make, like, for example, look, our coaching company, I've seen thousands of action plans. And here's the things that people do. The first plan they ever create would say it was, we're about to enter in the next quarter. So they make the due date September 30th for everything. I know yes. they're going to procrastinate. Yes. They're not going to do anything in, in July, nothing in August. And then in September, in a panic, 
they're going to partially do stuff. That's ridiculous. Yep. Then the other people are my overachievers, and they make everything do stuffed in the first month of the quarter. Everything's due July 31st. And what's going to happen is they're like the person going on a diet. They have a bad day. They eat junky food. And now they say, screw it. I can eat whatever I want since I'm off of it. What we need to do is we need to space things throughout the quarter so that my milestones and my due dates, I don't, I don't cram it and, and front load it, and I don't back load it. I got to have it spaced throughout. And if I manage other people, that's even more important because if I want them to succeed, I need to make sure that they have enough milestones throughout the month and quarter that there's always that next marker two weeks out. I can check in with them. Hey, how's it going here, Carl, on this? Hey, Samantha, how are you doing on that? And that's my role if I'm leading them. So we have a company plan. Each of our departments has their own plan. And then for key individuals, they'll have their plan that feeds in and they kind of like nest together uh, in the in this hierarchy. And it works really well. All right. So um, Jeff Zalea had a question. And I like his question because... A lot of this, you tell me if I'm wrong, but a lot of this is, using your words, is operational. It, yeah. I'd like to address a little bit of the human element if you feel comfortable. In other words, sure. operations isn't going to help any of us if, we're, if we procrastinate, if we're lazy, if, if whatever you know, demons we're dealing with. So Jeff asked, how can you beat procrastination? How do you address the procrastination element? Yeah. So Jeff, what causes procrastination? It's not the desire to be perfect. It's not. It's the fear of failing. That's what it's. It's a. It's an. It's a way to regulate our emotions. I, I've seen it. The reason we procrastinate is not because we 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 want things to be perfect. We're afraid that we feel so uncomfortable that we will be judged negatively for not doing great stuff. Um, and so, a couple of quick tips that I find that help with procrastination. Number one, um, don't think in finished versions. Think in drafts. Think in iterations. Think in versions. So, for example, if I'm doing a proposal. Don't write the proposal. Write a draft of the proposal. The bar is lowered and I get myself moving. Second one, get started, right? Can I get myself, I'll sometimes put in there, Keenan, like if I'm struggling with procrastinating on a big project, you'll see in my big rock for the week might be to do one plus hour on X project. And if I can just get myself doing something, what happens is now I build some momentum. We all know that. Third one I think is really important. Um, and I think this kills a lot of people on there on the procrastination side is recognize that 100% perfect that never happens is never going to compete with 70% perfect that gets done. And I need to remind myself with that part. I got to lower my bar on that. I find for me, the stuff that I procrastinated on, generally it's because it's stuff I should, I personally, if I have the luxury in a company and I have good staffing, it's probably something I shouldn't be doing anyways, right? If I'm procrastinating on creating a new operational system or, 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 doing the financial review of something because I don't like doing that. I should have someone else do that stuff if I can. It's not always an option with that part, but I'll find that oftentimes I'll pay top dollar for someone to do something I'm procrastinating on, knowing that they may not do it as well as I could, but I'm not doing it. So what they do is much better than me not doing it at all. So those are four things that I find helpful for me. I like the idea of paying people to do shit. That took me a while to get comfortable with. And I get it when people don't have a lot of money. That's hard. But, man, I love paying people for doing stuff. And what's funny with that, too, is I had to – once I started paying people to do stuff, I had to get comfortable with the fact that it didn't mean I wasn't doing stuff. Yeah. Does that make any sense what I just said right there? 
It does because you're paying people to do stuff so that you can do stuff that actually you're better at and makes more value created for what your role in the company is. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes that's not doing something for the company. And then I'm like, Ooh, I'm not working, but it's like, wait a minute. I started the company and everybody's getting paid and they're doing it. So like, I think the hardest part for me was starting to realize that just because I'm not doing it doesn't mean I'm not working. It doesn't mean I'm not bringing out. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the person that so over identifies with what they do that to not be doing it drives them crazy with that part. And I agree with you, right? If, 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 if I can take some time away, like you got your kids go surfing or whatever, that's pretty cool. And I, I don't know. I tried it once before. I, I was horrible at it, man. Oh, man. I couldn't even catch a wave. Wave keeps crashing. Then I have to go back out there on that board. My arms are tired. My kids. I tell you what's so funny. So I hired someone to teach my kids how to surf. Funny enough, they caught all these waves. We had a photographer out there taking pictures of them in the water. I tried to teach them, right? Because I remembered as a kid, I used to be able to do some of that stuff. I'm laughing, but I love it. So part of what I can do is I can hire other people so that when I'm out there with my family time. So if I create time for me to do higher value work or I create time for me to actually enjoy my life, wonderful. I, I give full full kudos to you for that. That's a great, great example. I never thought about this. So I am a certified PSIA level two ski instructor. Okay. So unless you become an examiner, there's only three levels, right? Okay. So, and to get a level two, I think less than 60% of my class passed the first time around. It's no joke. Like when I went into ski instruction, it was only part-time anyways. And I was like, whatever, I'll go, I can ski. And you get into it, like, oh, this is like legit. I give PSI some serious credit. It is legit. And to be level three, I know people took them years to get their level three, sir. So why do I tell you this? I had three kids. I started skiing at two. And people are like, oh, you're a ski instructor. You taught your kids. I'm like, no fucking way I didn't. Never once, never once I teach my kids to ski. And the few times we're skiing together, I try to give them a, a, a little advice. They're like, Dad, shut up. So I paid someone for the first <laughs> basically their whole life. I've been paying people to teach my kids to ski because I'm not doing it. No. One, it pisses off the family. Two, it takes away from our ski time. Like when we're skiing, the girls just want to ski with me. They want to have fun. They don't want me to play instructor. So yeah, to your point, I was like, hell yeah, pay away, pay away. That's now, great. Tomorrow, we're actually, I got a, a surfer for tomorrow morning, an instructor, and he's going to come out and he's going to instruct all of us together. And I'm going to be the student and I'm going to shut up and listen. And, 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 you know, we're all going to try to learn to do this crazy thing. So yeah, I, there's value in paying people to do shit for you. Yeah. I mean, my, my friend, Stephanie, um, she, I wrote a book with her called build a business, not a job. And she, she she's, uh, in her seventies, wise, successful marriage, sold her company for what, 10 figures. I mean, actually, pardon me. Is that 10? Yeah. 10 figures. Really just a great, great human being. She gave me three questions that I should use when I make decisions. You know, what matters most for the sake of what, and how much is enough? Well, think about it. I mean, do I, at a certain point, if I'm working, I'm not working just because I want to amass more. I'm working because I want to have a life. So if I'm not savoring that life, if I'm not biting into it deeply, if I'm not enjoying it, how much is enough and for the sake of what? What matters most? Those are three questions I would encourage anyone to ask. And I'm a pretty type A person by nature that I've had to learn to kind of calm down a little bit. And over the last probably 10 years, the biggest thing that makes life better for me is not taking myself too seriously. I take things seriously but not too seriously. And I think that that's been a really important one. Enjoyment is every bit savoring. That's my word. Savoring is every bit as valuable as achievement or, or all this other stuff. In many cases, it's more important because what, why have all this time and or quote unquote success if you're 
if you're not going to actually be with the people that you love doing things that bring you joy? It, it just, why? Okay, so great. So let's talk about that. What about the blending of that, right? There are people, well, I don't, okay. Let's talk about the blending of that, where people believe, rightfully or wrongfully, that they're, they're married, they have kids, you know, whatever the situation be, but they believe that their joy is their work. Mm. And so they forsake all these things for getting married and their kids to continually work. Like, what, let's talk about that for a second. Is that a real thing? It is a real thing. And funny enough, I, I, I'll give them an exercise they can do. And I, I have a journal back on my desk. I did it for myself over the weekend to remind myself. I'm about to turn 50, so it's kind of a little Dude, bit of I passed, that, I passed that shit a while ago, man. <laughs> it's a painful one, man. But then you realize, hey, it could be worse. I, might, I could be dead. So look at it as a gift. That's right. That's right. Um, but going back to this idea, so first of all, I love what I do. Do I have to work? I don't have to work with that part. I love what I do. For me, I love the creation. I love the impact. Uh, I love the fact that I'm feeling the progress and growth. Okay, so I'm going to work. Like I'm taking a, I'm taking all next week off, taking my kids and my wife. We're going up to Montana uh, to uh, Flathead Lake. We're going to go play on the lake. We rented a house on the lake. Cool. I'm still going to have some journal time and I'm going to be doing some writing for work. Why? Because I like doing that. On the flip side, though, what I have to ask myself is if all I do is work, then I have no relationships. My health suffers. And I'm um, this one-sided person. And, and so what I would ask is, imagine you were in your whatever age. So I, I actually did the writing 15 years from the future. I wrote a letter to myself as my, as my 65-year-old self to my 50-year-old self. And I gave myself some advice, including things like, you know, what matters most. And work matters. It does. Not because I need the money, but work matters because I need the fulfillment. I, I need the creation. I want to have the impact. And because I like the growth. I'm becoming more, more as an individual. Great. But if I'm sacrificing my family, my 65-year-old self, to what, they, what, what he told me was, and David, you know what? You're, you're two 11-year-olds, right? And you're seven-year-old. They'll be gone. They're, well, more than that, they're, they're, you, you, right now is when you're going to spend 95% of the time yes, you'll yes, ever have with your kids yes. is before they turn 18. Yes. After that, you get 5% over the rest of your luck if you're lucky. Yes. And that just scared the crap out of me to think about that. And so I have on my board over there, I have a little mark there. I call it my long tail, right? This idea of thinking about that. And every day that I come in the office, I think to the day before, did I remember to savor that, that, that joy with that, with things in my life that I have now that won't be there later? And I put a little tick mark on there for every time I do it. It helps me stay present with it. But that's what I would say to the person who says, work, 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 work. If you truly will be happier on your deathbed having done that, fair enough. Steve Jobs? He would not have been as happy on his deathbed had he not done that. I truly believe that he was a one-dimensional person in that respect. Fair enough. Not for me. Not for most people. But for him, good for him. Kids, right? Then why get married and have kids? I agree. I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous personally, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, different people, different values. I'll, I'll be respectful of that. Now, you got three boys. Yeah. I got three girls. Oh, my gosh. How old are yours? Uh, 14, 13, 10. All right, so you're in the thick of it. I love it. Oh, full on, full on, full on. Now I'm divorced, unfortunately, and uh, but I'm excited because that's half the reason I came out here. Is um, I get them full time starting in August because all three of them will be going to a full time ski school academy where skiing is woven into it yeah. uh, in Vail. And so, unfortunately, their mother was unable to make it or whatever reason she couldn't move near the school. I already had a home up in Vail, so it was easy. 
So the girls will be with me full time. So I'm ecstatic. Like I'm through the, you know, to the moon. Um, but at the same token, I was like, right, if I'm going to these girls full time, then I need to do something for me this summer to just, you know, I'm 52 year old single guy who's about to live in a small, tiny mountain town with three daughters. <laughs> I, I, I got I to do something before I jump into that shit show. Right. So, so that's why I'm here. And it's to, it's to your point is just sitting back and thinking about, okay, where am I in life? What am I doing? What do I need? What do I want? And will I be happy with the life that I'm living now and or later? So that's exactly was my motive to come out here. And, and, you know, I'll figure out how to make work work from here. That's great. You know, one, one of the things I, I talked about in the, in the chapter one of the book was this idea of an inventory of time. Like, think of like you're an astronaut, right? So I know they just kind of launched people up into space station. That's pretty cool that they yeah, did that. People on the planet right now. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool stuff, man. But, uh, you know, an astronaut has certain limited inventory of consumables of oxygen and fuel, right? So I, I set two consumables. 10 years ago that changed my life. I said, I'm going to, my consumable is a 40 hour work week, no more. And my second consumable is a minimum of 10 weeks of real vacation every year. So if these are my consumables. Of the year, by the way, 20% of the year, everybody paying I, attention to what he just said, 10 weeks is 20% of your year. And so with that parameter, I have to figure everything else around that. And when I've done that, and so for all my companies and all my financial stuff, 40 hours is my, is my cap. 10 weeks of real vacation, you know, and, and, and what I found for me is that works. I don't want to work less than that because I actually get edgy and I don't think my family enjoys me too much if I get edgy. That <laughs> um, you know, my wife will often say, go, go, go exercise or she'll say, go, go to your office sometimes. It's like a Snickers commercial. You're not yourself when you're hungry. There we go. But by the same token, if I'm doing more than that, that's not healthy either. So I think if someone were to say, what's your, what's your inventory of work hours and how do I maximize that? And what's my minimum inventory of vacation time? And even if I have to work towards that, maybe I say one week a quarter to start with. Great. How do I design my business life, my career around that to make sure that I'm doing that? Because there will be a day that comes by that they'll say, I'm so glad I did, or if only. And okay. they get to make the choice now. All right. So here's where I want to go next, because it's a great point. And I'm going to use sports as the metaphor, right, Thanks. wrong, or indifferent. And I'm going to use that because my youngest was the catalyst for my daughter's going to this mogul, well, this, this ski program. My daughter is this past season, she just turned 10 in April. So she's past ski season, she was nine. She's only been skiing competitive moguls for two years. It was her second year this year. And within their first competitive uh, competition, she, was, she finished first overall in that particular division or league and beating kids 11 and 12. They moved her up to one, and then she was still finishing in the top 10 against kids who were 12 and 13 years old as a nine-year-old only doing it wow. for two years. So they were like, okay, where you're skiing and your skiing level is what we see kids who end up on the World Cup. So if that's of your interest in, you got to do this full-time starting now. So like gymnastics and other things, they got to get them in early if they're going to do it. So where am I going with all this? When you start getting efficient like you're describing, right, and getting that 1% to get 50%, right? That frees up time. So now in a world where you want to get ahead or you want to be competitive, you're like, oh, I got what you said, uh, how many hours that was, a shitload of hours, I forget what the number was, right? So I need to use that time to get ahead of the guy in front of me. So I'm right back on that hamster wheel, no time for family, no time for friends. Now I'm getting to be the 1% of the 1%, right? And so my daughter is going to have to do that if she wants to 
achieve her goal of winning a gold medal, right? So if you're someone who says, I want to be the CEO, if I want my company to be a billion dollar company, how do you break that chain? Which is I'm doing 1% of 1%, but that extra time I'm creating is more pull ahead time, right? That's yeah. more number one time. Well, let me hit it directly. So, um, you know, I, I, I have a sport background. So I used to play field hockey in the U.S. national team. I was training yeah, to play in the Olympics. Talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give an example. Um, here I'm, I'm living at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and I lived there for a couple of years. And at that point in time in my sports career, I was overtraining. And I have all kinds of injuries. So massive hours was different. I moved overseas to play for foreign club teams. And in, in our sport, Australia, the UK, Europe have some of the best club teams in the world. So I'm playing, for example, I played for a year in London, England. The guy I was playing with, he, he showed me, he said, David, your grip's wrong. I said, what do you mean my grip's wrong? I've been doing this for years. I've been playing. I had, at that point, I had like 60 caps for the US. I played internationally. And he's like, look, he took my, my grip and changed it by about a quarter of an inch. Totally changed everything. Everything. So even in sports or the quest to be the CEO or whatever, it's not about a mass of hours. It's those quarter inch corrections that mean everything. Yes, I need a certain base of hours. But physically, I could not train more than four to six hours a day. Otherwise, I have injury. It's just it's counterproductive. But the difference was when I trained overseas, the two-hour training session was qualitatively better than when I trained just domestically with my, my people where the, where the leagues weren't as good. So that's the difference from it. So go back to your CEO. Yeah, maybe I can't do it on a 40-hour inventory if that's really my goal to be a Fortune 500 CEO. Okay, fair enough. But 90 or 100 hours isn't going to be the difference. Somewhere between 40 and 65 is probably the right amount to get me there. And I just have to be really careful to look for like, for example, most people don't know how to give themselves feedback. They don't know how to learn. So, yes, there's a, yes. so there's a simple tool we talk about in the second half of the Freedom Formula. One of the tools was called Like Best and Next Times. So, for example, I wanted to learn how to be a really good speaker. I'd never done that before in my late 20s. So I set a goal, 200 talks within one year. And every, and every talk, I'm going to debrief what did I do well, like best, and what specifically will I do next time? And I did that every time religiously, fanatically, faithfully. And at the end of a year, I did 212 talks. And that's how I learned how to be a, a speaker. Now, subsequent to that, I've done it now for 20 years. I've given you know keynotes in front of thousands of people. But that's a different matter. So going back to that CEO, how can I make incremental learning experiences more valuable to me by deliberately learning? I'll give people a book, a phenomenal book about deliberate practice, which is me consuming a skill, absorbing a skill. That, that's called Peak, P-E-A-K, by a guy by the name of Professor Anderson. He's like the guy in the world of learning peak performance. And so it's called Peak, P-E-A-K. The audio version is what I liked better because I'm like you. I'm an audio guy. I don't want to sit there and read the book. I want to listen to it so I can do other stuff. But he goes in there and describes what deliberate practice is. And he gives example after example. So for example, with my staff, we just did it on Friday. We got clear with our executive team. What, what's the one skill over the next 90 days that would be the most profitable skill for them to become better at? And then now we're coming back and looking for where in their typical week are there opportunities to practice and learn that specific still, skill without doing extra time? So if I want to get good on how to negotiate, well, where are the negotiations I'm naturally going to have? If I want to get good at hiring, what are the hiring things I'm naturally doing? If I want to get good at 
um, how to close business. Where's that? If I want to get good at my planning, where can I new do it? All I have to do is I have to add five minutes per learning experience at the end. And those five minutes I start and I write down what are two or three or four things that I liked best about what I did and what's one specific next time that if I did this differently next time, that would make a big improvement. And if I do that, small increments of learning will compound. And the difference is most people learn, Keenan, once a year. Yeah. Good people, good people learn once a quarter. The best people are learning daily and weekly daily, and compounding yeah. that learning. And so that's how we get faster. That's how we become better, not by sheer hours, but by using our hours more effectively and intelligently. Dude, that was brilliant. You're going to love this. So this is my first book, right? Just oh, wrote, not Todd. I love it. All right. Just wrote it on a whim. It, it, you know, so, some people have read it, but it, it didn't. My second book, Gap Song, is blown up. That's a different story. Um, but you're going to love this. Ready? Look at chapter 13. Deliberate learning. Sweet. There we go. Dude, trip. And you're going to love this too. Watch this. You're going to love this too. It's going to trip you out. It's going to trip you out. Hold on. I got to find it. Hold on. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Where is it? Are you in the back or the front? You're going to love this, dude. You're going to be like, shut up, Keenan. You are going, wait, I guess I could look at the freaking watchmark. So as you were talking, uh, oh yeah, chapter 10. Okay, ready for this? This is going to trip you out. Chapter 10. Can you read that? Time versus results. I love it. <laughs> Those are two of the chapters in the book. That's the very things you're talking here. I, I'm like, this is the stuff we need to be focusing on. Stop focusing on how much time you put something into it. You're getting to the results. You understand the relationship with the efforts and what you're getting out of those efforts. And then learning. You nail it. I'm a huge fan of learning. I just feel blessed. I have major curiosity. So I'm always learning all kinds of random shit. Because I'm like, I don't accept answers. Like, um, do you know how long a yellow light lasts? I have yeah. no idea. I, I, one day I was driving and I got stuck in that moment. You know, where like if you punch it, you're afraid you're too late. But if you slam on it, you're going too fast. If like you slam on it, it's going to be too much of a hard stop. Yeah. And so when I got there, I was like, how the hell long do these damn things last anyways? This is ridiculous. And I got so, so I went and learned. <laughs> I, I had to know the answer. How like, long is it now? I'm wondering. Yes. Yeah, three see, seconds? Uh, it's three and a half seconds at less than at 35 miles an hour or less. And then it, from 35 to 45, it's another half a second. And it keeps going up until 55, where I think it's four and a half seconds. But there are parameters like if you got a hill then it's longer or if you got to turn then it's longer. <laughs> <laughs> man you're that, that's crazy okay that's great that's great it's just it's i think what hard part for people learning is i think learning for a lot of people they connect it to th themselves and if i don't know it there's something wrong with me and so therefore if i accept that i don't know it then i'm then i'm accepting that i'm not good right that i'm not good but I look at it just the opposite. I look at it as I'm not good because I don't know when I need to know when I don't want to be here anymore. So I, I'm constantly, constantly learning new shit every day. But I think most people are afraid to learn because they think they feel it's a poor reflection on who they are. Yeah. And that'll kill you. For sure. Especially you know, if you're looking at somebody who says, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of learning in front of somebody else with that part. Man, oh my gosh, really? If anyone is watching this, if you're a manager or a leader of other people, the best thing you can do is show people that it's okay not to know how to do something and ask for them to teach you. What a great model of what it means to actually do things and learn things. But yet so many of us are scared of not looking good. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. This is a great book and I'm going to screw it up. Shame on me. And I want to look behind me where it used to sit and it's not there, but I want to say it's questions or hot ass questions. Oh, put it in there somewhere. And the, and the person who wrote the book talks about this very concept, particularly in business where people are afraid to ask questions because it's perceived as that you're um, uh, inadequate or you're perceived as um, not knowing your job or not I can't talk today. Not knowing, not being good at your job, right? So if someone's explaining something and you don't, you don't grasp it or you want more clarity, people are afraid to say, wait, I didn't understand it. Or could you go a little deeper? Because they're afraid of the culture that says, well, what are you, an idiot? You don't know your job. And so it stunts the growth and it allows it to happen that shouldn't happen. Yeah. What a waste. What a waste with that part. Completely agree. Completely agree. All right, my man. So we're at the hour. So I'm going to let you tell folks how you want to end this thing and what message you want to leave with folks. Okay. So three things I'll say. Number one, if you like what we were talking about today and you want to learn how can you operationalize working smarter, you know, get your copy of the Freedom Formula. Whether you buy stuff on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, probably not going into a bookstore right now. Fair enough. Audio or the other version of that. I have a favorite and ask. And away too. So I don't know how I'll do it. I'm going to pick two random people who ask comments or said oh. something in here. And we'll give two away. Oh, that's sweet. That's great. My favorite I'm going to ask for people is, look, I, I don't need anything back, but you can pay it for it. But the one thing you could do, if you got something good from today, when you get the book, review it on whatever website you bought it. It used to be that the cover blurbs that we had, you know, the editor of Inc. Magazine or, you know, all these people, that used to be what sold books. Nowadays, it's the review. So you say whatever you want to say, share your honest feelings, but I'm hoping that the book deserves a good rating. Number two thing Nicole I would share. Barker said ordered it. You got a sale already, Nicole. Ah, uh, thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate that. That's cool. Let me add some. Don't forget your second piece, but let me add something for you here. And next time you're on something like this, tell them to do this as well. Not only put the review on where you bought it, but put it on LinkedIn. Oh, that sells far more and does more for you than when people go and read. Like you get, look, put in perspective. I don't know. I got 250 something like that comments right now, or, or reviews on on Gap Selling right now, right? So someone adds another one, I love it. But the chances of someone going to buy the book, finding that out of 250, ain't happening. But when that person goes to LinkedIn and says, I just read this dope-ass book by Keenan on sales that did this, 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 and this for me, that has far more power. And when I get 5, 10, 15, 20 people in a week doing that, that sells more books. FYI. That is a great – thank you for teaching me. I just learned something. I wrote it down in my notes here right now. I got um, you. Second thing I would share with people, look. Uh, two sales now. You're cruising. There we go. <laughs> I'm not going to focus in on. I'm not going to focus on time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to focus in on time served. I'm going to focus on value created. And to me, my suggestion for them is create your inventory of time and time off. What are your parameters, and make your life work around that. If you want to be somebody that 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 you're that can enjoy life, then make that something that fits for you. And the final one, I, I still love those questions. What matters most? How much is enough and for the sake of what? I think those are beautiful questions. If someone wants to learn more about the book, freedomtoolkit.com would be the place to go. Um, there, actually, there's some stuff I couldn't put in the book, so we, we actually put it as a bonus to the book. You'll, you'll see it when you get the book. There's a website that comes with it with about uh, maybe 15 to 20 tools that you can unlock online, freedomtoolkit.com. But Ken, I had a blast. I don't think I had this much fun in an interview in a long time. Normally, it's pretty stodgy. I got a t-shirt out of it. I got an oceanfront view. I mean, I love that you, you prioritize your kids like you do, man. That's good stuff. You're doing it the right way. I'm glad you had fun. I don't have time for bullshit. I don't have time for boring. I don't have time for script. I don't have time for that's how everybody fucking did it. I got no time for that shit. 
Life is too short. I'm doing it on my time the way I want to do it, just like you. And one of the things, I'll, everything he said, everybody, what, what Finkel said, everything, <laughs> but I want to add to it. Everything Finkel said, but on your terms. Stop letting society tell you what color the box should be, the shape of the box, and don't mm. someone argue me a fucking box is a, is a box. So just stop, right? You can have a square box, okay? So you can have a rectangle box. You can have a diamond box. Just cut it out. But just stop. It, we are so subconsciously programmed on how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to write, how something's supposed to work, what the rules are. Who fucking said what the rules are? You get to create the rules. I mean, that's, it's your life. Do it your way. So yeah. everything Finkel said, and then do it your way and your voice and how you want to do it. And if you can't, get out of the situations that are not letting you do it your way. Just get out. Get out. So Finkel, I loved it, baby. You got a great attitude. You're bringing a great service to people. We need more of this. Hope people can learn to use it. Thank you very, very, very much. Thanks, Keenan. Had a blast. Thank you, you everybody. Man, baby. You the man. Thank you very much, peeps. Y'all have been listening to Keenan Live, where we talk to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. Look, you can find us in any dope place where you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitches, we're everywhere. Go check us out and please subscribe if you like this. Also, if you want to watch, you want to see the video of this live event, Go to YouTube, Keenan Live at YouTube, and you can watch it all. All right, y'all. Thanks a bunch. You know what I'm going to say. Till next time, peace. I'm out.